Hello, my name is Nicholas McInerney. I'm a playwright and lecturer. Ten years ago, I came out. I had been married for nearly 20 years and had two daughters. It was both terrifying and exhilarating. I was about to set out on a journey from one world to another, where I was to reinvent myself or maybe to find out finally who I really was. I decided for the first time in my life to keep a diary. I wrote furiously, without censoring myself, straight from the heart. Ten years on, I want to invite you to come on that journey with me again. Each of these podcasts will include diary entries and a discussion all about our shared experiences coming out as gay and bisexual men, dads, husbands and partners. Of course, we understand that reliving the past can inevitably bring up conflicting feelings of distress and pain for children and former partners. This is clearly not our intention. We also understand that personal memories are often disputed. We take responsibility for any factual inaccuracies. Names have also been changed throughout. Despite all this, we hope and believe that Rainbow Dads makes an important contribution to a healing process of understanding and self-acceptance. And by sharing our lives, we hope to include yours. Thank you. It's all good when we're back popping. That's it, I'm sex, so good, bitch, chart topping. You've been to plenty corners of the world. Still will find yourself, but not the girl. Hello, my name is Nicholas McInerney. I'm a playwright and lecturer. Ten years ago, I came out. I had been married for nearly 20 years and had two daughters. It was both terrifying and exhilarating. I was about to set out on a journey from one world to another, where I was to reinvent myself or maybe to find out finally who I really was. I decided for the first time in my life to keep a diary. I wrote furiously, without censoring myself, straight from the heart. Ten years on, I want to invite you to come on that journey with me again. Each of these podcasts will include diary entries and a discussion all about our shared experiences coming out as gay and bisexual men, dads, husbands and partners. By sharing our lives, we hope to include yours. The 18th of July, 2008. I told the children on Monday. Once home from the festival, we unpacked and ordered a Chinese meal, which I think I picked up. Details are a little hazy. We ate, myself surprisingly hungry, given the circumstances. Afterwards, we tidied up and the children dispersed to other rooms. Naomi upstairs to her computer, Ella to the living room. Kay turned to me. Well? 
I went up to the bathroom. For some reason, I felt I had food trapped between my teeth, so I flossed rigorously. My gums felt sore. I rinsed with Listerine, spat it out into the sink. I looked up into the mirror for what felt like one last time. I asked Naomi to come downstairs to where Ella was already sitting on the sofa. Kay sat on a wooden chair. I think I did likewise. I took a small paperweight in the shape of a frog and said this would be our talking stick, that when someone was holding this, it was their turn to talk and the others should listen. I remember leaning forward and bringing my hands together. I knew I needed some hard physical contact to help me through this. I started. I think what I said was the following. This is serious. None of what I'm about to say makes any difference <clears throat> to my feelings about you, about how much I love you and will always love you. Nothing you have said or done has caused this situation in any way whatsoever. The difficulties that I have been having over the past few months actually go back further than that and aren't just about work. In fact, they've been about personal issues between Mummy and myself. We are talking about separating. And the reason we are doing this is because I have had a deep personal struggle for some time now, but have finally come to accept that I'm gay. So this was the new world, life after disclosure, coming out. This is it, and everything changes from now. Did it go well? Kay thought so. I only know it has been the hardest thing I have ever done as a parent. Please God, I never have to do anything like this again. Hello everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, this is Nicholas here and I'm with my lovely selection of gay dads, David, Alex, Arnett and Deep. And this is our third podcast and we've been talking about early experiences and our marriages and how we try to uh, manage all the conflicting tensions and conflicts within ourselves around sexuality and uh, marriage. And we've now come to the point when I've called this podcast Day Zero. So I, I want you guys just to think about that moment, that day, that turning point. Because I think out there, guys who might be listening, are, are re rehearsing and re-rehearsing a narrative in their mind, much the same way that I did. And looking by the expression on your faces, so did you, about how this is going to work. How am I going to manage this? How am I going to manage the crippling guilt around what will I knew was going to be a, a breakup of a family? Uh, and how can I see a way forward? I got obsessed with coming out. I felt that coming out was going to solve my problems. Of course it doesn't. It just ushers in a whole new set of other issues. 
But I think there's a fixation, isn't it, on the coming out as this day zero, as this point where you can stand and be authentic. This is the word that's been coming up a lot. A lot of you have talked about it. So, David, tell us about the lead up and that day zero. You know, what happened? How did you feel? How did your friends and family respond? So it's not really a day zero. Yeah. It's probably a number of days, years, and it still goes on. I don't think, I think a lot of people think you suddenly come out and then, I don't know, you're in a new land, you're, you're, in, you're in Oz or somewhere, and everything's marvellous. Well, you certainly got Dorothy with you. Well, you? yes. Um, but it's, it's, for me, and I think for a lot of people, it's not really like that. Yes. It's a slow process. My day zero, if you like, was the day that my wife found some um, images that I downloaded, uh, which were not particularly pornographic. They were just images of guys. Also, this was in the days of early internet, so I was discovering the internet, which we talked about in a previous um, podcast. Um, and I'd also been in a chat room and somehow downloaded what I'd written in, in this chat room. Anyway, Was it very explicit, what you said? I th it, w it was explicit in that I was telling the other person how I felt. So it wasn't sexually explicit, yeah. but it was, a, it, it was a cry for help, I think. Yes. That's what was going on. Very good, yeah. And, um, and I think, looking back, I realised that I'd probably left those things not tucked away far enough, hidden in files or whatever, so that, of course, when my wife went on the computer, she found them. Yes, um, and I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought that at the time. I, I didn't realise that I'd done that subconsciously. But I think looking back, that's probably what happened. I, I needed something to happen. I couldn't go on any longer yes. in this marriage. We both love each other. We yes. still do love each yeah. other. But we both couldn't physically go or I felt I couldn't physically go on yes. um, in this situation. Um, and I needed something to happen. So I constructed I think subconsciously something to happen. So that was the day zero. She Can was. I just take you. How, did she confront you then? Yes. I was Can you just? Say, what did she say? Do well, you she, remember? She was pregnant with my second son okay. at the time. Wow. And I got a phone call at work, and um, I told work, "Oh, I, she's having some pain, and I've got to rush home." So right. I rushed home. Yeah. She was obviously upset about what she'd found. Um, she did know that I'd had sexual relations with, uh, with other men before we got married, but it was never spoken about during the marriage. Um, I think we both felt that, for me, I could compartmentalise it, I could put it away somewhere. For her, maybe she felt that it, you know, she could change me in some way uh, and that it wouldn't affect the marriage. And, and I guess she felt that it hadn't affected the marriage. Um, but I was at a place where I needed something to happen. So that was the ground zero. We then spent five years living in the same house, but separate lives. Uh, she led more and more of a separate life. I was stay-at-home dad, so I took on. I was basically the role of you were looking at, looking after the looking after the children, children. at home while she um, had a career, which we both agreed at, at agreed on at the time. Um, so. You know, she went off and had her separate life. My life became the children, the house, the housewife, the house husband, whatever you like to call it. And so we carried on like that for five okay. years. Can I just take you through that? Did you have any contact with guys during that period? No, no. Um, 
contact sexually or Se- sexually or just you know in terms of chats or just any kind of contact no because that her finding the stuff that she'd found it sort of freaked me out about the internet and i thought it was a very <laughs> i thought it was a very dangerous place to, to go you know to, <laughs> Time. to fiddle around with and go to so yeah. i think i switched off of that so in a sense you closed that this so i happened, closed it down you closed it down yeah. immediately yeah this was your response it's a kind of fight or flight isn't it yeah. you just kind of close yeah. that down so although i'd sort of left the trap if you like for something to happen it happened and it didn't happen yes so this coming out thing that people think is going to happen it does it doesn't always happen yeah because I, yeah. I basically came out uh, and we had the conversation and I, I said oh that doesn't affect our marriage it's not part of marriage it's separate yeah. still love you still you know we're still a, in a relationship um and like I say, we carried on like that for five years. And did you um, review that moment over those five years? Would she talk about that? Would you talk about that? No, no. We became more and more separate. Yes. Uh, uh, and the relationship was breaking down around us. Had there not been a, a child involved, a, a very small child, do you think that would have been accelerated, the, the split up of the relationship? Uh, possibly. Possibly. I always said that I would never leave the children I, I couldn't leave them that was your red line that, that was, your was absolute, yeah. yeah so in the end she left the family home and okay. which was a, you know a very brave thing for a mother to do wow. to walk away and to you know to decide that she would set up her own life and a home for the children outside I stayed with the children until they uh, you know were, were of school age or beyond school age um, and then we divorced a few years later and split the split the house. Okay, I, I still want to, I'm really interested in this period after you came out where you basically came out and made this huge declaration, this huge life event. In some mm. respects, one mm. of the brave, certainly in I, my regard, one of the bravest things that you can do. Mm. And then you shut it down. How did you feel, David? How was that? What was going through your mind? I think it was, it was just the same uh, situation that had occurred all through my life. I desperately wanted to be who I was, um, but for some reason there were barriers built up around me and I couldn't break free, I couldn't break through them. Okay. Um, and it seemed that although this event had happened, uh, and you know she has said since that we should have split then, we should have okay. made the decision. We should have both okay. been brave and said, this is the situation, it's not gonna get any easier it's not going to get better yeah. we need to resolve it you, sa- you effectively didn't. sacrificed that some happiness in order to bring i mean many people will listen to this and think you're think you're a much better man for having made that sacrifice but it does involve a sacrifice doesn't it, it yes but the children were there you yeah. see and they were both small and i couldn't couldn't damage them in any way yes i had to stay with them uh, and uh, I think this goes back perhaps to my, my being adopted and being yes. abandoned and the, those feelings of abandonment. I could not do that to my own children. Yes, I think there are things that go on in our lives that are separate from the relationship that play an enormous part in our response to things yeah. like this. And I think yeah. that's a great example. Thank you very much, David. That's very moving. Alex, how about yourself? Um, I was quite, <coughs> quite planned about it. Ooh. So I came to the realization um, and you come out to yourself first and then you come out to other people um, and the ripples spread out from there on and you still come out so five years later I came out to my 
the, the girl who's cutting my hair two days ago. And um, it was nice to be reminded that you can come out and survive. <laughs> because you do, you come out, you survive, and, and life goes on. I planned it very carefully because I knew the impact it would have on my ex. And so I told um, two or three key couples in the church who I was really close to, who I knew would be caring and supportive of her, and that I realised I might lose everything, literally lose my family, lose my kids, lose my church, lose my friends, maybe even lose my job if things went you know, really bad. Um, and so I took about a month, maybe six weeks, and I just spent those that, those mostly nights waking up at three or four o'clock in the morning after a few hours sleep, and I would just go downstairs and I would just sit and think and write and read and think again and just cry. What were you, what yeah. were you reading? What were you? I mean, this is this is really does strike a chord. Yeah. What were, what were you looking and what were you looking for in what you were reading? To so initially, it was sort of theological stuff to like, can you be a gay Christian? Because I, at that point, I hadn't let go of my faith and. Uh, it was how, how you can be uh, an ethical faith believer in a faith that, from my point of view, seemed to say you couldn't be gay. Um, and I hadn't even thought at that point, you know, being completely mon monogamous, faithful throughout marriage. Um, at that point, I had no thought, oh, well, this is going to solve everything. I'll tick this box, come out, then I can have a, a lovely gay boyfriend or whatever. It wasn't about that. It was about owning who I was. So that was the most important thing to do. And I knew that health from a health point of view psychological health I couldn't move on until I'd actually done that so I had to do this bit as well as I could um, and so I was reading sort of stuff from the more liberal part of the church from America from churches that have wrestled with this and come to good conclusions from churches that have come to conclusions I wouldn't agree with now and from churches that have gone much further and I was just trying to absorb everything about it also find out you know, at that point, I hadn't met anybody who was um, a gay dad or a gay parent even, um, let alone any real gay men except for one person I knew. So it was a massive vacuum. I didn't know what was going to happen. You must have felt very isolated. And I had to find... I, I felt intensely isolated, oh Nick. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was. It was both... I, wow. I felt like it was a really forging experience, you know, it was a white heat of I was going to say, do you feel, fear it, and pain. Let's use a religious metaphor. Did you feel like this was your going out into the desert in order to be tempted, in order to really, to really be tested? No, because I was quite angry. I was, right. I was okay. angry, but not, not willing to let go of my faith. Who were you angry with? Uh, myself, the church, society, um, possibly a homophobic stepdad, um, possibly God yes, at that point. Yes. You know, but certainly angry that I hadn't had that opportunity to be who I really was. Now that really and is how old that's were, how okay old to be you angry. At that time? How old were you when you? I was fifty. Fifty. Yeah. Wow. So um, I'd actually gone through a funny life-affirming experience of doing a parachute jump the year before, and the parachute didn't open. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just drop that in there. <laughs> so um, what did you do? I, I did, did you... a fact the. The parachute, I got tangled in the parachute and, and then I tumbled and untangled. And I never knew this and it all went well from there on. But when I jumped out of the plane, I was literally falling three and a half thousand feet towards the ground at 17 seconds impact. Uh, wow. And, and you only learned about this afterwards. afterwards. And then I think so what did you, what did, subconsciously, what did you... I think, what the fuck? I'm, I could have died. Yeah, and then I think my brain just over the months realised that I'm probably killing myself in another way by not being 
True. Gosh, this is another way you could have thought of it. I mean, given another chance, and here's my chance. Yes, to, 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 yes this is what I have to that's do. That's also true because it really defined things. I thought, you know, this is not good. Where I am is not good, and there are a m- number of reasons why, and a number of choices which I can't claim are anybody else's responsibility. But it's okay also to make um, new choices. Okay, so and you're then, reading, yeah. you're meditating, you're thinking, m- thinking trying tring. to prepare myself. Absolutely, and then and then, and yeah. then what happened then? So um, I actually came out to my eldest son first, um, and uh, that was a beautifully affirming moment where he was just so supportive. How old was, and, how old was he then? Uh, he was coming up to 17, 17-ish, right. and he was so completely supportive and lovely. Um, I don't think he understood all the implications of what would happen, but he cared for me. And um, it was in a very sort of troubled context with him, which I won't go into, because that's his story. But um, it was a beautiful moment, and I planned what I was going to do. I told a couple of friends first and didn't get rejected by them, but I didn't necessarily get understanding from them either. And then I, I was planning when to tell my ex and we'd gone to the pub for a meal and we had a troubled relationship already, so it wasn't easy. And she started questioning me and she had been and saying, are you, are you gay? And I'd say, no, no, I'm not gay. And then suddenly she said it you know, in an unguarded moment and I just said, yes, I am. And that was the worst way I could have done it yeah. <laughs> in public in a pub. But... Uh, Interesting, but you were in a safe Really, you were in a I safe was in space a safe space. Because you can't she go didn't. apeshit crazy in a pub, can you? She did. Oh, she did. Oh, yes. I do apologise. <laughs> um, Apparently you can. <laughs> not not too badly, but, you know, it was... it was, But it was bad for her because of what it was, not because of where it was. It would have been bad if it had been at home. It would have been bad if it had been at church. It would have been bad wherever. And it was devastating to her. And, and I, she had no... I think she knew... I think she knew because she'd asked me before yes. um, over those few months. And um, it was funny because it was actually on coming out day, national coming out day. Oh, was it? Is. <laughs> <laughs> I discovered afterwards. <laughs> um, they, they set it especially for yeah, you. Thank you. you. Do I know. That? Oh, oh, so, <laughs> so, touched. so special. Thank you, darling. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I am special. Uh, but, Gosh. Yeah. So, so she had that very... It was awful, traumatic for her. Was it? What you expected her, how you expected her to respond? Yes and no. Um, I didn't understand how much her hurt would turn to anger and violence against me. Wow, violence. Okay. Yes, some. Not, not. I don't want to paint her. Yeah. Don't want to paint her badly, but there was some of that, and it was a lot of verbal violence and a lot of, you know, four, five, six-hour rants at me. And presumably, you took it because you felt. You should take it. I I think I did at that point feel I should take it, and that still continued. And that was why the relationship was bad. You know, it was a very codependent yes. sort of relationship where I didn't challenge things I should have challenged. Yes. So I didn't learn to do that until after we'd separated about a year later. Uh, well, about nine months, nine ten months later, I left the house, yes. and she took that as a sign for divorce. And I'm sad to say we don't really have any relationship now. Although I'm of a mind to try and positively engage with that. And you were together for? 27 years. 27 years. Yeah. This is one of the weirdest things, that you could be so close to somebody. Mm. I mean, my ex-wife actually will probably be with me longer than my current partner. And know all mm. my beautiful, 
wonderful imperfections, yeah. and yet you can then cut that relationship and you're intimate strangers. You are just mm. that, you're, you're that person who was once extremely intimate and now a stranger. And I find, mm. sometimes I find that very, it feels very distressing to me that that can happen. Particularly as you grow older, I think, because as you grow older, these friend, friendship is what, is what really matters. Mm. You know? mm. Yes, so and I don't, I don't want to continue in a position of disrespecting her. Not that I do, but I yes. want to actually make a positive effort. Yes. But I'm still wary because I don't think fundamentally some of the things that made it difficult have changed on her part. Right. So I have to recognise that. And, yes. Uh, you know, I have a lovely relationship with my boys so and a very connected relationship with them. So that comes first. And are you careful? Yeah. I was always really careful. I would never say anything critical about my wife in front of my children. Mm. I always, that for me was like bottom line. When I see mm. couples together who have been disrespectful of each other, that's when you know the writing's mm. on the wall. Mm. Well, I, I was not that mm. good before we split yeah. up. Because of the, presumably because of the anger. I think so, and also because our relationship was bad on both parts. We didn't know what to do. We were perhaps too immature in some ways. And also the, the boys had seen that since they were little. So actually ending that process of toxicity was actually a really positive thing, yeah. um, even though it wasn't easy and it was painful and it had consequences for all of us. But I'm still quite glad that I did that, irrespective of coming out. Coming out triggered it. Yes. Precipitated it, if you like. Yeah. Um, but both were important and they shouldn't be put together. They should right. be conflated as, yes, as to the same yeah. issue. Yeah. So I think a lot of people who have good marriages may stay in their marriages, even though they want to come out as gay. Yes. And that's for them to choose. Yes. But, you know, you need to actually yes. look at the, the issues. issues. The relationship is separate Absolutely. from the issue of yeah. sexuality. Although yeah. they, there is a, a relationship, yeah. but it doesn't necessarily... You're quite right. You can mm. be in a... And I do know people who, are, you know, have, neg have negotiated marriages who would love, mm. you know, are perfectly happy to stay. Yeah, we tried for that. Oh, I suggested that, but it wasn't acceptable. Okay. So, you know, in the end, it, it was only going to go one way. Okay. Um, but that was the right thing, I think, for all of us. It also sets her free to be herself. Mm. Exactly. Uh, even if she doesn't mm. recognise it. Grand. Thank you very much, Alex. Arnett. Mm. As I said in my last in the last podcast, yeah. um, my my coming out happened really spontaneously uh, and I hadn't planned it. Um, however, I, I think it's something that had been in my mind for quite a, some time. Uh, for quite some time I felt unhappy in the relationship and I know I've been talking about wanting to go away on a retreat and just wanting a bit of space and I wasn't able to articulate why that was, but I just felt this huge depression that I was living with for, for a few years, and and that was really weighing me down. It got in the way of our relationship. It got in the way of my relationship with the children, and I could see that it was impacting on, on everything. Um, so, so when I eventually made the statement, which was in response to her asking me a question about where we would go on summer holiday and and I just turned around and said I can't do this anymore and it just suddenly came out and it was just a real oh shit moment and then she said do what and she thought that I was talking about this essay that I was trying to write for a master's at the time and I said I can't stay in this relationship anymore and then of course I had to say why 
<laughs> and and so then I said those words. I'm gay. And you were in the were you in a pub as well? No, no. Oh, no I was, we were in the house. <laughs> the same pub in Yugoslavia. <laughs> in Yugoslavia, yes, that yeah. one. Yeah. We were in the house. Damn that pub, eh? Hey? And yes. <laughs> the children were in the house, yeah, not wow. in the same room as us. Um, you know, it was quite late at night. I, I think they probably in bed at that point. And it was, yeah, where do we go from here? Mm. Um, and the memory gets a little bit fuzzy now. And it was eight and eight and a half years ago. And it was so shrouded with emotion and the mind plays tricks. But that night I didn't sleep in the same bed. So I, I, I said, I'm going to sleep on the sofa bed, which is what I did. And, and then I kept doing that day after day. And we didn't tell the children straight away. Um, and then one night she'd been out and she came back in and it was quite late. And I was on, on the sofa bed and then we ended up having a row because she wanted me to come to bed with her she said this is ridiculous you know we can we can work this out yeah okay so you can be gay but it doesn't mean to have to say that we have to sleep in separate beds we can still be here together and i i really felt strongly that for me i needed to own being gay i needed to step into that space after all these years and and the depression I really understood that so much of that depression that I've been experiencing was about me denying whom I was and being a father and being a husband slash partner defined my identity so strongly as being a heterosexual man that if I stayed living in this house then I would be defined socially as a heterosexual man and how could I go around and tell people that I'm gay how would I ever find a man to have a relationship with that's not about going cruising or going to a sex club or going on the internet and I wanted more than that if if I was going to step into this being gay and really you know, enjoy that for myself. I wanted more than just to keep having secret rendezvous. Mm. Could I really move my relationship with my partner to that place where I could say, oh, I'm just going to pop off and meet David a minute and th that was all going to be okay? Mm. And I just didn't feel Modern that... family. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Okay, maybe that might have happened, but it might have happened taken 10 years. And I was 50. Yes. And I already felt that I, yeah, I'd lost so much of my life as a gay man. You really felt that? Yeah, I did. You really felt that? Me common, too. Did you yeah. really feel that? Because I don't feel that, I have to say. Mm. But I absolutely acknowledge that other people do feel quite strongly that they missed out on those years. Yeah, I really felt that. And and I lived outside of London. It, you know, It's not an easy area to, to meet people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's really, really hard. And so at that point, I made the decision, 
I was going to move out. And, and I was lucky that a colleague at work had a big house, offered me a, a, a space in his house with his family to, to stay in. Um, and interesting, he, he was a, a Muslim family. Uh, and so that, that was quite an interesting experience. Yeah, and, and he knew that I was gay and knew why I was moving out and was really quite okay with that. Um, but it was, yeah, it was that moving out that, that actually was the most painful bit. It's the most painful bit for me. It was the most painful bit for my partner and the most painful bit for my children. And mm. and that was the yeah. point that I had to tell, uh, well, I told my son, but I didn't tell my daughter, who was six years old at that time. Yeah. And, and tell us what the consequences of that have been. I didn't tell you my... Spoke, you spoke to me yeah. earlier about it. I, I, I didn't tell my daughter really, really because... My, my partner felt that she was too young. I wanted to tell her, but I was also happy to go along with not telling her. I told her three years later when I had my first serious boyfriend relationship and she was really angry and still holds that in her now, eight, nine years down the line. She was angry because in those three years, she didn't know why I'd moved out. Um, and what I've discovered is that she felt that I had moved out because I didn't like her. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's terrible. Yeah. And I find that really hard because you can't turn the clock back no. on that. And is there a right way? Is there a wrong way? You, you never know, do you? No. But I, it, it wasn't fully planned. It wasn't yeah. thought through. Uh, there's so many different ways. I, I did it in that way. And, yeah. You do what you think is right at the yeah. time. I, and you are, I mean, I've, I've had similar experience. Yeah. Um, and you, with children of different ages, you're just trying to calibrate yeah. Yeah, your response because you're trying to protect them. It's it's the again it's good intentions. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, and your best intentions can be received as confusion and yeah. But it's it's better now. I was going to say it's good now. It's not good. We're still working towards good, yeah. but we have a level of trust now. She's beginning to be much more open with me now. And and my son, we have a really deep, trusting relationship. My two older daughters, both are in their 30s now. Their initial reaction was they didn't quite know how to deal with it. And what was quite interesting was with both of them, they when they went away and spoke to their friends, and their friend said, hey, that's really cool. <laughs> they, they both came you back. You were a cool gay dad. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and, that and, too. yeah. And they both, they both sort of came back and thought, <clears throat> okay, we need to figure this one out yeah. and deal with it. Yeah. So, yeah. interesting journey. Yeah, very interestingly, we'll come on deep in a moment. One of the things that most upset me was when, my ch when, when I came out and my children went off to school, that they were teased, but it wasn't me that was teased, it was my wife. They said that my wife couldn't keep me, and they were really, and that really upset me, that they were having, my children were desperately upset. They were having a go at my wife, because my wife wasn't attractive enough, attra or whatever, mm. to keep a husband. Gosh, 11-year-old children really know how to 
pick your most vulnerable mm. vulnerable part that was I remember that and I put that in the radio play How to mm. a Perfect Marriage I put mm. that scene where he comes back and he's full of you know what's happening what's happening because the daughter's crying upstairs and he realises that the daughter's been teased at school because of this and mm. completely pulls the carpet out from underneath him that was a that was a really tough moment Deep what was your how was your day zero if there was a day zero yeah so I suppose I suppose it started at the point where um, I'd said that the relationship was over and we need to have separate rooms and go forward um, without living in the same house if it was possible uh, for the sake of our children. Uh, but we just have separate rooms. And, and, and for the time, that worked, actually, because it gave me some space in order to be able to work out what I needed to do um, in terms of understanding who I am. Um, uh, so one of the things I had to do was uh, try and try and understand my identity as a Sikh man mm. um, and how would I then live that as a uh, as a gay man or because um, at the time I thought I was gay um, and uh, that was quite a conflict for me because I didn't know any uh, Sikh men uh, who were openly gay um, who you know how would how would people react and I've already talked about how, the, how my marriage was part of two families coming together. So literally it was pe tearing apart two families mm. as well. Um, but, you know, the, the biggest impact for me, we, you've just talked about the impact of your children being teased at school, was how would my children be treated? Because I didn't know any gay dads either. Um, and that's where mm. I really wanted to start researching and finding out more about uh, any gay dads and are there any out there and how do they live their lives and are there any experiences that they can share about how they came out to their children because not only do we have to think about now coming out to other people but how do we tell our children and my children were probably too young to even know what a gay how person old, how is old were they? so they were probably by the time i was ready to tell them they were about five and seven right. but at this stage they were a bit younger than that so yeah. uh, you know they so it would have been maybe about two and two two and five yes so um uh, yeah, so so uh, you know, so most there was very little stuff on the internet around gay dads. Uh, there was a little bit around uh, from the US, uh, but very very limited information. Um, I also had a quite a stressful job at the time, um, and um, as a result of all of this, and um, I ended up having to need to go to see a counsellor, mm. which I had organised. Um, I remember at the time I went to see the counsellor because of my stressful job and how I could better get a grip with um, my work-life balance so that I wasn't getting so stressed out. Um, and talking to the counsellor, um, what was a really poignant moment for me was when I, when I said to her, I'm gay. And, and she said, well, that's okay. Um, uh, you know, how do you feel about that? And I, uh, at that moment, because it wasn't expected, because I wasn't going there to talk about my personal life and my sexuality or anything like that, but it felt like a huge burden had been lifted off my shoulders um, and I actually felt quite happy because I could say the words and mm. wow nothing happened I, you know, I don't know <laughs> what I was expecting <laughs> struck down no. yeah. so there's no you know, thunderbolt or anything <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah so drama queen you. but it, it, it felt good to yes. be able to say that it really did um, and uh, for me I think that was my turning point of recognition that actually it's okay to be who I am mm. But it was trying to then understand how I was going to fit that in with my children, how I'm going to fit it in with my, um, you know, my wife at the time, mm. 
um, and then uh, the rest of the people that are in my life, really. Um, um, so I felt as though I needed to sort of get my head around this. Um, and in one of the uh, chat rooms, I met this really um, uh, great guy who I'm really, still really good friends with. Um, and he's um, of a white Christian background, but converted at the age of 16 to become a Muslim. But he's gay as well. Um, and he was very, very confident in his Islamic faith, um, which I found really bizarre because he lived in a little village in Switzerland where everybody was Protestant, <laughs> <laughs> except for his grandmother, who was a Catholic. He's the only Muslim in the village. village. <laughs> but he said that he always knew that the, the church, Christianity never, it never meant anything to him. He always knew that it was something different. Um, and it was when he was 16 that he 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 thought he found out about Islam because he didn't even know what it was, um, and and felt this is this is me coming home um, and became a Muslim. So I sort of understood how well how can a really a, a, a faith that comes across as being really homophobic, uh, how can you have that faith and also be gay at the same time? And that gave me a lot of comfort actually because I thought. Actually, within the Sikh faith, we we don't have that. You know, we're all the same. We're all equal. Uh, we don't have that homophobia to the extent that you do. I think in certain, certainly in Christianity and Islam. Um, so to me, that was really quite reassuring. Um, so for me, it was just trying to try and get all of my facets of my life in, um, and try and work out how they would fit with me being gay because I didn't want to wear hot pants and a tight t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> and all the Why other not? stereotypes that go with it. You look fabulous. Even though the stereotypes that go with it. So, yeah, so, so it was a really good way of being everyone understanding. Can, the point of order, everyone can wear hot pants. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the point is, I think it was the first time I realised, actually, I can, I'm still me. Mm. I can still be mm. who I am. Um, and I can, and it doesn't really matter what my sexuality is or what my sexual preferences are. Um, I'm still me, and that for me was quite an important important factor, really. So um, it was just so once I'd got to that point, um, I remember the first person that I had to come out came out to was my sister. Uh, for me, that was quite an important thing to do because when we were growing up, if my sister ever saw two men holding hands or two women holding hands on TV or something, she'd automatically say oh that's disgusting um you know so in my head she was a homophobic person um so i thought i have to tell her because we're really close so I t um i told her um and she just said to me um that's fine you're my brother and i love you it doesn't matter to me and to me that was really important because she didn't she didn't care she still loved me and the biggest fear of coming out about you know with your sexuality it's about losing people Rejection. that you love because yeah. mm -hmm. um, you don't want to lose anyone in your life and you don't want people to think dimly of you um, and yeah so, so essentially that was the, the oh. first point for me where I thought it's okay to tell people as well um, and then slowly as time went by I told people and as others have said here today actually that coming out process never ends really because particularly when you're a father because everybody assumes that you are a straight person mm -hmm. um, and then when you then talk about the fact that actually I'm not I'm a bisexual um, you know if you want to share it even um, then people are a bit astounded or less surprised these days I suppose but certainly at the end in the early days it was a, a bit of a surprise to most yes mm. yes thank you 
Thank you. Um, I want to start with a biblical quote. In the beginning was the word. Um, I think it's very interesting. You talked about saying, I am gay. You know, I have a friend who actually went into a park at night and would shout yeah. out, I am gay. I've done this myself Absolutely. at the beginning, yeah. I am gay, because I had to say the word yeah. to start to feel comfortable with saying it. Very powerful, very powerful. Um, so that whole business of name, self, I suppose, you know, how do we describe ourselves? Being able to do that and say, I am gay um, in a windy park to a sycamore tree. <laughs> just felt very, very powerful. Um, I suppose for me, it was a series of stages because as I said, my, my, my wife was incredibly understanding and for a while, we tried this thing called a closed loop relationship. I don't know if any of you guys have heard of it. It's an American thing, of course, all these things come from America. It was a site I found where um, with the consent of the wife, the husband was allowed to take a male lover but it had to be with the consent of the wife and she had to know. It wasn't something secretive. It wasn't something you, you kind of went off your dirty weekends and you came back. It had to be something that was sort of integrated into your life. And I, we tried to do this. And um, I saw somebody who lived up in the Midlands for a while and that didn't work out. And then I met somebody with whom I felt much more of a connection in London. And he met my wife and he met my children. My children didn't know then. He just met them socially. And for a while that seemed to work, but my feelings were growing for this guy and I realized I was falling in love with him. And also I was falling in love with what you talked about, Arnett, this notion of stepping into a space where I could properly be myself, declare who I was to the world which I think I'd successfully managed to not declare. And, you know, I've talked about my friend saying, there's nothing of you in that script, but my closest friend had said to me, we lost you when you were in your 30s. You know, I was, I was dad, I was bringing up children, I loved all of that, but myself, I was lost. And David, mm. you've talked mm. about that feeling, mm. and I really felt that you feel like you're, you're kind of in this huge ocean and you're just sort of reaching out to try and grab on anything that passes. Mm. Um, uh, so... So, when it became clear that you know, our marriage was, was, was um, at that point, when, at the point of, of, of no return, we started going to a counsellor to talk about that, to talk about how we dealt with the children. And I remember one counselling session afterwards, um, I broke down. Have you ever had that experience? I broke down and I cried in the car. We had to stop the car. I cried uncontrollably. I've never done that. Very rarely have I done that. You know, I've, like you, I've been through some major bereavements. You know, I've looked after a friend who died of cancer, a very good friend, had a heart attack and died. You know, I've wept at their death, but I've never felt this extraordinary sense of a complete kind of physical breakdown it felt like I almost had to have that in order to rebuild myself. And I was with my wife, and she was incredibly understanding and just let me cry and cry and cry, which is what I did. And we, so, so that was an important step, I think. And then we went to this very good counsellor, and she gave us some really good advice about telling children. Um, it was the uh, beginning of the summer holidays. My children were 12 and 15. Sorry, 12 and 9, 12 and 9. And she said, you have to tell them together. Mm. And I think that's really good advice because if one is not there, at least when they're together, they can go and process it together and they can 
There's no, there's not one saying, I heard this, but you heard that. There's none of that. It didn't stop problems, but I think it was really good advice. And the other advice was, um, tell them at the beginning of the holidays. Mm. That's what I did. Yeah, tell them at the beginning of the summer holidays, so they have six weeks yeah. in which to process it. So we made we made a date for when this was going to happen, and then we we'd always gone to a private dance festival up in Norfolk, and my wife and I went to this, but we led a very separate kind of weekend. It was very strange, very strange to go. I mean, I love to dance like you. It's very strange being in a dance tent when you're aware in the back of your mind you've got to go back home and do this thing. So um, and it was up in Norfolk. So we drove home and we got the children down into the kitchen, and I remember going up into the um, bathroom to wash my face or something and looking in the mirror and thinking, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. You have a good life. You've got this lovely house in Oxfordshire. You've got, you know, your kids are doing well. You've got loads of friends. You don't have to jeopardize it. I suppose that's, and then of course the other part of me was thinking, yeah, you have no choice really. You have to do this. If you're going to do this, do this now. It's 45. So I came down <clears throat> and my Together with my wife, we told the children. And of course, they were very upset. And um, we'd already made arrangements with them to go and stay with friends. Again, you know, when your kids get to a certain age, they're off out the door. And we told our best, some very good friends in the village. So they they both went off to stay with friends. And, and um, I remember driving my youngest daughter across to another village and dropping her off and then driving back and I remember being in the house alone with with my wife and our border terrier called Noodle <laughs> and just thinking what now it it seems like everything builds up to that moment mm. everything builds up to that moment of revelation of epiphany of whatever however you want to describe it and then suddenly the rest of your life opens up like a chasm and it really is a chasm because from that point onwards, I slept, I went upstairs and slept in the study. We led very separate lives. It was a very difficult time. My, again, I had problems with my children. My father died, I think, the following year. And nine days after his funeral, my children wrote me a letter saying they didn't want to see me. Unbelie probably the lowest point, I think. Unbelievably cruel. And of course, they had no awareness of the cruelty of that. I just buried my father and um, who died very suddenly from cancer. And, um, and I had lots of adults really angry on my behalf with my children, but I couldn't quite feel, you know what I mean? I wanted to feel that anger, but I also had to accept that I was breaking up the family and they were just desperate not to lose me. So once again, my wife, a bit of a guardian angel really, she organized a, a counseling family counselling with a counsellor and the two children, which was probably the most difficult thing I've had to sit through because I was really, really upset and angry. And they were they didn't understand quite how selfish they'd been. And they had been selfish in, in, in those at that time. Uh, and that was hugely difficult. But I suppose, I don't know whether any of you share this, there is a moment you realise you're at your lowest point and you do think, surely, you can't, <laughs> things have to start improving and I think they probably did with with but my youngest is still much more like your, my oldest daughter is much more relaxed about it my youngest is still there was an element of oh, daddy you've ruined my life you know a bit of a drama queen about her I don't know where she gets that from but hey ho um, 
and um, and that's one of the things that I regret that I can't repair that, or at least I can't repair that mm. at the moment. Who knows what will happen in the future? Yeah, and that's the things with kids—you never give up on them. Mm. So, so that was a particularly difficult moment. Um, and but there were things I felt that did were good choices with our kids um, in terms of telling them. They were completely surprised. They thought we had the perfect marriage. That's the other thing. We had friends who thought we had the perfect mm. marriage. We had friends who said, bloody hell, if you and your wife are splitting up, what, did you have that? What hope is there for the rest of us? We had the opposite. Oh, you had the opposite. Because <laughs> we were surprised yeah. you've stayed together this long. Right, right. Um, and, and to be honest, I think, you know, when you let, when you let uh, to use a metaphor, you let the scales fall from your eyes, you start to see things yeah. clearly. So once you start to see yourself clearly, you start to see others clearly. Yeah. And then I thought, yeah, they're right. But you'd yeah. held that space so tenaciously for so long. Yeah, it is a fault of mine. You can hold on too long. Well, and that can darling, actually, it's, also a, yeah. it's also a great quality to yeah. have, you know, but yeah. it, by George, you'd clung onto that rock yeah. face, hadn't but, you? But talking about your kids, I clung onto them as well. Yeah. You know, I, I, I had a choice of, and I think we've all had this choice of, do you, do you just go and do what you want now? Now you've done this thing. Yeah. Do you just go and do what you want, or do you hang on and mm. be a dad? Yeah. And I, I cannot say how glad I am to be a dad. Mm. That, you know, mm. whatever, yeah. whatever I've lost, you know, I've lost mm. some fun, I've lost some frolics, I've lost some travel time, you know, I've lost being free and single. But I haven't lost them, and they'll mm -hmm. last a lot longer. And absolutely, and, well and all I can say is, from and you've got children who are older. The time goes so fast, mm -hmm. and suddenly, my, you know, the, here am I with my daughter in the as you met her in the living room, and she's got her life, and she's more organised than me, and going flying around the world DJing, and I'm like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm like cool day dad. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It is just as Alex was saying that 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 thing about. First and foremost, through all of the chaos, through the down points, yeah. and I, it, certainly for me, there was more than one rock bottom moment mm -hmm. when I thought things can't get worse, and then suddenly you wake wow. up a month later and oh shit, this got worse. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it gets better as well. It yeah. goes up and down in different mm. times and different moments, but keeping some kind of sense within all of that that actually. You have these children. I'm a dad. These children need me, and I need them. Mm. And, and keeping that as mm. a central bit, and mm. it comes around. Mm. And and just the other night, I was talking with you yesterday, Nicholas, about how I just had this this little moment this week where I had three of my four children around the table for dinner. I had my boyfriend there. I had my son's girlfriend there. And I just had this little moment of looking in from the outside and thinking, you know, I'm really lucky. Mm. I'm really lucky. Yeah. And the acceptance of, of my children, his girlfriend, of my boyfriend, of my children, yeah, with all of the chaos that ensues around you know, trying to work out ongoing relationships with, with their mother, etc. But actually there is still an acceptance of everybody trying to work together, of the Absolutely. children's mother trying to yeah. work together and work it out. I always say to someone, I don't expect you to have dealt with your baggage, but I do expect you to be trying to deal with your baggage. Mm. And I think that's, and what you say is a wonderful image of integration, integrating mm. all those elements. And that, that is a lovely, lovely image to end on for our, for our audience. Um, I want to thank David, 
I want to thank Alex. I want to thank Arnett. And I want to thank Deep. I want to thank Richard, who's been our fantastic editor and producer. And uh, this is Nicholas. And we look forward to uh, talking to you about uh, our next subject the next time we collect, we, we gather together as gay dads. Thank you very much for listening. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this podcast and wish to speak to someone, please ring Switchboard, the LGBT plus helpline on 0300 330 0630. Calm words when you need them most.